BKB are delighted to bring you their new podcast, More Than Just Numbers. Join Ali and Luke, along with guest speakers, whose aim is to help you navigate through your business journey. Business is more than just numbers, and at BKB, the team provide financial direction and leadership, so each episode will cover a different topic that will help you and your business grow. We hope you find this episode of value. Okay, well, welcome everybody to our live podcast, um, Electric Cars, All You Need to Know. So just a few um, housekeeping rules to start with. Obviously, you are being recorded. Um, and if you do have any questions throughout the chat, please feel free to pop them into the uh, chat box. If you don't want anyone to see your messages, then if you can private message Caroline Weaver, um, Caroline then can um, open up the questions at the end of the podcast. So um, a little bit about us. Alistair and I have been working together um, within BKB now, coming up to probably almost 15 years. We're fully qualified charter certified accountants. Some of, some of you know one of us or both of us, and we are also chartered tax advisors. Um, our, B, our BKB, our firm, is based down mainly in Koi Pond Pool, but we do have another office over in Charminster and another office as well over in Wimborne. And we're a team now of about 30 accountants, bookkeepers and payroll people that are all there to help you and guide you through anything that you want to know about accountancy and tax. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at electric cars. And well, why? Why do we want to talk about electric cars? They have very much become a very hot topic recently, and there's some very big reasons why they have been. So first one is the environmental factors. Back in December 2020, Boris Johnson stood up and announced that by 2030, the UK will commit to reducing its CO2 emissions by 68%. So he's got a lot to live up to, and time is obviously fast forwarding very quickly at the moment with everything that's been going on in the world. So that target of 2030 is very big. So what he's done is he's brought in some very big tax breaks for electric cars. So this is one way that they're trying to reduce the CO2 emissions with electric cars, and ultimately then that leads to cars now where arguably, and Andrew will talk about this more than I will, um, but arguably where company cars haven't been so attractive, with these new tax breaks coming in for electric cars, they now are more attractive than ever before. So then there's therefore is benefits to companies and directors. So what we have for tax purposes, we have four main types of vehicles. The first vehicle we have is petrol and diesel, and we're just generically grouping petrol and diesel as one type of vehicle. So we look at the tax for those types of vehicles. The second type of vehicle we have is what we would call in the tax world commercial vehicles, which everyone around will know as vans. So ultimately vans being the generic term, we do have some gray areas in that. So we have what are called twin cabs, which some are vans, some are cars, but ultimately from a tax perspective, we're looking at commercial vehicles. Our third category will be hybrids. So hybrids sit in its own little niche category as well. And then finally, the one we're focusing on today is electric. And just to make sure, one little myth we have and one little problem we have to sort of uh, get on top of quite early on is when we're going to talk about electric today for tax purposes, the one key thing that people get wrong is it does have to be a brand new electric car for tax purposes. It cannot be secondhand. So everything from here on inwards is going to assume that we're talking about a brand new electric car. So when we, we've now identified, identified our four categories of vehicles, we now need to look at what taxes those four categories are affected by. 
So the taxes that we look at as accountants and tax advisors in order to make sure that we have the most tax efficient vehicle going through the business, the first one we look at is the capital allowances we can claim for the business on the vehicle that is owned by the business. So of all those four categories, the capital allowances treatment is very different. Likewise, the benefit in kind. So if we have a company car, the driver of that car will get a benefit in kind. And again, whichever one of those four categories we go into as a vehicle, the benefit in kind will be different. And then the final category is whether we have a company car or not, that then might invoke some personal taxes by way of dividend tax on the director. And ultimately it's the combination of whichever choice of vehicle we go into, combined with which uh, outflow of these three taxes hits us as to which makes one more efficient than the other. And that's what we as accountants look at, that's what the tax breaks are all about in terms of electric cars, and ultimately that's where we go on to. So uh, Ali, you're gonna have a quick chat about uh, the different taxes? Thank you, Luke, yes. So um, the capital allowances then. So capital allowances is, um, allows assets to be treated very differently to how you would normally treat revenue expenditure, which revenue expenditure is normal expenditure that you incur in the course of running your business. Capital allowances relates primarily to assets that you purchase as a business. So they sit on your balance sheet in the fixed asset column. They don't come off your, your accounting profit. Um, so they sit, sit there in the balance sheet. And the, the government use the capital allowances regime to influence the um, buying potential, the buying thought process of um, company owners so that they can use the capital allowances for things exactly like what we're seeing now with electric cars. The government has brought in the need to reduce emissions by 68%, so they're really pushing the electric cars. So the capital allowances is something that the government can use to incentivize businesses to purchase electric cars. So if we go to look at the first one, which is the petrol and diesel aspect. So we'll start off with the petrol and diesel ones first. So the petrol and diesel, um, the capital allowances for petrol and diesel cars are not very efficient whatsoever. Um, I'm going to use an example of you buy a, 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 a petrol diesel car for £10,000, um, which isn't many cars these days. Um, the capital allowances treatment only, only allows you to get 6% relief on that £10,000. So effectively, £600 is what comes off of your taxable profit, which is not particularly generous um, in any way, shape or form. So it's not, not, a, a, not an efficient way. The following year, you get another 6% and so on and so on and so on until you eventually sell the car. Um, the, um, I, I, the crosses are on the right, but I'm going to go talk about the hybrid as the next one. So the hybrid is slightly better. So cars with um, CO2 emissions between 0 and for 1 and 50, I should say, are deemed in the hybrid category. Um, and these have 18% capital allowances, so slightly better than the petrol and diesel but not as beneficial as the electric cars. Um, the 18%, so again, use our 10,000 pound example. You spend 10,000 pounds on a hybrid car, 1,800 pounds comes off of your, um, your taxable profit, which reduces your corporation tax um, effectively. The next one is the commercial cars, and I'm gonna say electric cars as well, because commercial electric are pretty much one of the same. The electric cars have 100% allowances, 
So if you spend, I'm not going to say 10,000 because I haven't yet seen an electric car for 10,000 pounds, but I'm going to go down the 50,000 route. If you spend 50,000 pounds on an electric car, that doesn't come off your bottom line for accounts purposes, but it will come off your bottom line for tax purposes. So a 50,000 pounds spend on an electric car will give you a tax saving using corporation tax rates as they are today of nine and a half thousand pounds. So that's quite an, an, an interest, quite an um, incentivization for the purchase of the electric car. And that is regardless of how you finance the car as well. So you could finance the car on a, a four, five, six year plan, but you still get the benefit of that 50,000 um, pounds coming off your taxable profit in year one. Commercial vehicles are slightly different because commercial vehicles are not regarded as cars. They are regarded as other assets and commercial vehicles will get uh, what's called first year allowances um, and they will also, um, so that they, again, that's 100%, but it's not quite the same regime as electric cars, but in, in this sense, different part of legislation, but essentially it's, it's the same result. The benefit in kind, so the benefit in kind is the tax that the individual who drives the car is taxed on as part, so it gets added to their salary um, for tax purposes. So the petrol and diesel cars are not very tax efficient for company car drivers. Um, there's a, a, a quite a complicated um, chart that the government produce, but it basically starts at 51 grams per kilometer of CO2 emissions. And the benefit in kind um, at this tax year is 15% of the list price. So if you spend 50,000 pounds on a brand new petrol or diesel car, 15% of that, so seven and a half thousand pounds, is what you're going to be taxed on each year for driving that car. And in three years' time, when that 50,000 pound car is only maybe worth 20 or 25,000 pounds, that's not particularly, you're still paying tax on a seven and a half thousand pound annual benefit. So we aren't seeing too many company car drivers now taking that option because the, the tax is just is too much. Now, and that also goes up. So when the car, when the CO2 emissions are up to 160 grams per kilometer, the benefit in kind rises up to 37%. And if it's a diesel, it rises up to 41%. So you can see that there's a, 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 a sliding scale that really doesn't make the petrol and diesel cars very tax efficient for um, company directors anymore. The hybrid system has a slightly different um, scenario. So that the back in the day when the car legislate, company car tax legislation first came out and hybrids first came out, the hybrids caught the government off guard a little bit. And the, um, so, a lot of these car makers were advertising these fantastic CO2 rates of you buy this car and it's got a CO2 rate of 30 grams per kilometer, therefore it qualifies for the, 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 the most tax efficient form of, of company benefit in kind. But what was happening is that the, the testing that the car manufacturers use for the, um, to work out the CO2 emissions is on a, on a test track, basically. They, they just drive it around 50 miles on a test track and they work out then how much electricity has been used and how much um, petrol and diesel has been used for a hybrid. But of course, the electric motor would only have a range typically of 30 miles. So the first 30 miles, there isn't actually any, um, any petrol or diesel being used. So it's effectively robbing the, the, the test system. 
and you've seen a lot of um, in the press about a lot of car makers recently um, who have been brought to, to town over this. Um, but what it did mean is that the government realised that the hybrids were being used as a tax incentivisation, but because hybrids typically are heavier cars than petrol and diesel and commercial electric cars, they're actually, if you drive them over longer range, are actually more pollutant than, um, than the others. But yet the government seemed to be incentivising people to do the hybrids. So you had a lot of work, a lot of people driving up and down the country, you know, sales reps, for example, who were going fantastic, take a hybrid because there's no benefit in kind. Um, the government soon decided to stop that. So what they did is they brought in a, a, a regime now whereby the, the benefit in kind is based on the range of the electric motor. So if the electric motor has a range of only up to 30 miles, you effectively tax as though you're driving a petrol and diesel car. Um, and then there's a scale so that it goes 39 miles, 69 miles, 129 miles, and then over 130 miles. If the, if the range of the electric motor is over 130 miles, then the benefit in kind only sits at 2%. So you can see that there's a very um, incentivization for the car manufacturers now to, to develop the batteries in the hybrids to go further because they realized that the sales reps weren't now then buying the hybrid cars. And this is all about government incentivizing us and incentivizing our buying power, which then incentivizes the manufacturers. The electric cars, um, electric cars obviously have no CO2 emissions whatsoever. So the CO2 emissions for zero um, grams per kilometre um, last year with the, the benefit in kind was zero percent. So effectively a company car driver had it tax free. This year it's one percent. Next year it's two percent. And it's set at two percent right the way through to the 5th of April 2025. So two percent is nothing. Spend fifty thousand pounds on a on a car. Your 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 tax benefits two hundred and fifty pounds a year. Um, I think most people would happily pay the tax on a thousand pounds drive a, a fifty thousand pound electric car um, a year. So um, you've, we're seeing a lot of people now looking at these at these electric cars because of the mixture of the capital allowances and the benefit in kind. Commercial vehicles are slight, slightly different. So commercial vehicles have their own um, system because they're not regarded as cars. Now, we have seen some cases go through, and this is beyond this podcast, but we have seen some cases go through the courts very recently where car manufacturers were trying to get around the commercial vehicle status by putting these twin cab pickups which Luke referred to earlier and twin cab pickups are um, generally uh, there's there's four straight five six not that I would particularly want to sit in the back of a twin cab pickup because of the leg room um, but they are essentially if you've got a, a family you can put your your um, family in the twin cab pickup but are still regarded as a commercial vehicle um, and so again the government changed the the rules on commercial vehicles so they brought in some uh, uh, probably 10-15 years ago now brought in some legislation to just tax commercial vehicles on benefit in kind where they used more than the odd occasion um, and they, they brought out some examples of what they regard as the odd occasion and, and the revenue would allow you the odd trip to Tesco's on your way back from work or um, the the odd trip to a news agent they wouldn't regard it as going on holiday um, so they've they've brought in a flat scale so it's, it's regardless of what the co2 emissions are of the commercial vehicle they brought in a, a, a flat 
benefit in kind, which is three and a half thousand this year. And that is your um, benefit and that's what you're taxed on. There's also a fuel benefit as well. So there's, there's, they, they are getting their head around the commercial vehicles and it's a constant game between the commercial vehicle makers and the government. Um, and there's always this ding dong battle going between them. The personal dividend side. So this, this one's quite easy to, to explain. Um, the personal dividends, if you buy a car privately and your sole income comes from your company, you have to draw money out of your company to pay for your car, which the, by the very virtue of that will trigger a dividend tax. And Luke and I, you're probably bored of Luke and I talking to you about a dividend tax and, and trying to keep say, explaining to you when, if you go over into the high rate bracket, your dividend tax goes up from seven and a half to 32 and a half percent. And, but essentially you buying a car in your own name means that you need to fund that in your own name, which means you need to draw money out of your company to fund that. Whereas if you're buying a car in the company, you don't need to do that. So you don't need to then draw that dividend out, which is saving you dividend tax. But the consequence of that is your benefit in kind. But if your benefit in kind is only 1% or 2% next year, then it, it, it's a win-win. It really is. So, um, so you can see now why so many of our clients are going down the electric route because it, it's, it's a win on all three of those, those counts. So the next um, bit we just briefly talk about is the running costs. So with a, a car that you purchase through your company, all of the costs of running that car can be put through the company as well. Um, insurance, tax, um, I say fuel, but obviously if you're charging um, your car, then you don't have any fuel, but you do have electricity, which you do use at home. And the revenue have bought out a, a rate that um, uh, you can pay, you can charge your company. So if you are charging the car at home, they say that you can um, see so you, and you're, you're using the car, then there's a 4p um, a mile claim that the revenue have bought in. Because when I mean, we, I bought an electric car a few years back and I actually got to the point of what do I claim for fuel? For, for fuel? As a, as a fuel allowance, it's, it's very interesting. I actually phoned the revenue up and they didn't have an answer. Um, a year later, they brought out some, some guidance on it. So we, 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 there is a, um, a scheme there that you can claim the cost, the extra electricity costs of, of running the um, charging electric car at home. If you, do, uh, if you don't run a car through the company and you run it in your own name, then you can claim the old personal mileage um, claims 45p a mile to 10,000, 25p a mile thereafter. These rates have not changed in 20, 25 years. Um, they used to be 40p a mile back in the 90s, but they certainly haven't been updated. And, and when you consider how much the price of fuel has gone up in that time, um, it, it's, it, the government really um, have not, not made it worth, worthwhile um, looking at, you know, they just haven't looked at this and it, it's something that they probably should, should look at. So leads me on to our guest speaker, Andrew. So Andrew is someone that um, Luke and I have known for, for many, many years now. And we've introduced um, some of our clients to Andrew when um, they, they typically ring Luke and I up to say, thinking of buying a car, what should we do? And we, the first thing we do is say, speak to Andrew, um, because he, his, his knowledge of cars is, is second to none. Um, and what he doesn't know about cars really isn't worth knowing. 
Um, so we've, we've invited Andrew to come and talk, talk to you now. Um, and we're going to ask Andrew some questions um, and then hear what his answers are. Um, and I've, I've, you, Andrew and I spend many a time, and suddenly an hour can disappear when we're just talking about electric cars. We felt now is the time to actually make this public. <laughs> so, so Andrew, um, first question for you. Um, what's your experience of electric cars? Yeah, morning all. Uh, thanks for the invite, guys. Um, do you know what? That's quite an easy one for me because if any of you out there are real petrol heads, you might remember Chris Harris on Top Gear. I'm sorry, it was Series 27. In the summer of 2019, test driving the Tesla, and it was all over the screen. And that was on a Sunday night. I kid you not, the Monday morning, the phone started to ring. And it was literally at that point as well, Tesla had made a decision to sort of embrace the corporate leasing market and made inroads with all our major partners, so the likes of Lex, et cetera, Lex Auto Lease and Lease Plan. And it really started from there. But prior to that, it was all talk, all a lot of hot air. There wasn't a lot happening. But yeah, summer 19, it started. And I kid you not, overnight, our inquiry level, for example, Range Rover diesels fell off a cliff and it went Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. And it's been like that ever since. So yeah, summer 2019, guys. And Tesla were the market leaders. And that's where it all happened. And uh, we haven't stopped since. Was this one that he did around Bolton where they, the three of them had to drive? And no, it was before then, buddy. It was, it, was, it was the one where he was going around the test track and he, he did that launch mode against all the other hot saloons and just blew into the weeds. It was summer 19, it was. And I remember it clearly. I think, oh, okay, watch that. Went to work the following day and, oh my God, it started. And it really did start. It was incredible because we deal with business owners in the main and most of them phoned in the first two or three weeks after that show. I saw Chris Harris, I want one of those. How do we do it? And of course, at the time, we, you know, Tesla hadn't really got their act together, but they did fairly quickly thereafter. So, yeah, that's when it started for us. And I, I must admit, I got invited to a Tesla test track day um, a couple of years back, and I got, sat, got to chance to sit in a car, Tesla car, on a runway with launch control on. Mm. I kid you not, my, the blood in my head just yeah. literally the, the, the g-force just sent it all, I literally just was paralyzed yeah it's... I wasn't great I was not ready for that at all <laughs> um the, the next time we did it, I clenched all my fists and tensed all my muscles up to just to keep control but I, the, the power was just yeah I've you know what I've done it once and I'm not rushing to do it again it was <laughs> uncomfortable it really was <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so have you seen um, an increase um, in buying electric cars recently? Yeah, it's again um, came back from Christmas, crisp, so January 21. And I think the, the tax benefits you've alluded to earlier really finally started to sink in. So we from January started to do, I think Luke might have said earlier on, the phrase the company car is back. Well, it really is back now. I mean, it's been off the cards for the last 20 years, as we all know, because of the tax regime. Uh, but yeah, January of this year, we were getting Bournemouth and Poole-based businesses, business owners phoning up saying, Jimmy, who's a general manager or a senior member of staff, he's got a car allowance, he's entitled to a company car, always taking the cash. He now wants an electric car because we've heard about the tax benefits. So we, yes, from January, we've actually started to supply genuine company cars to key members of staff because of the tax breaks. And it really has has ramped up from January of this year, which is, you know, seven months ago. So, you know, but prior to that, it was business owners as a, you know, it's my business, I want a Tesla, I want a whatever. 
but yeah, in terms of mainstream company cars for Star, only as recently as January of this year. And what's what's your thoughts on the the infrastructure that supports electric cars then? Because you look yeah. around the charging points about now and and um, Deneva and yeah, I mean there are twenty five thousand public charging points out there. There's more charging points than petrol stations. A lot of people don't realise that. It's not ideal. We've still got a, a long way to go. Um, the Office of Zero Emission Vehicles have apparently put aside 20 million quid for on-street charging schemes. So that's going to be charges down side roads, I'm guessing what um, lamp posts and the like. Still got a long way to go there, I've got to say. But, you know, it is there. It is there. You know, it just takes some planning. So I'll say this word a lot all the way through the next next half an hour or so but it is you know a long way to go i think covid has obviously taken the right of the ball for obvious reasons which is a shame you know we've mentioned the 2030 um cutoff point where you know any new car will have to be well it won't be solely petrol it won't be solely diesel so a long way to go i think they'll get there um it's going to be tough though and they've got to put some real resource and effort into it that's for sure because they are behind the curve as we stand today who controls the infrastructure that supports electric cars? Because obviously Tesla has their own. Yeah. The other electric cars, they don't. They're, they're all using the same charging points when you go to a service station. And, and, and who the, controls this? This is a huge issue, Ali. I mean, honestly, it's such a mess. When I, as I went to Warwickshire, uh, I've driven lots of electric cars over the last 12 months, you'd probably expect, but last Wednesday was the first time I actually left Dorset in one. You know, and I'll be honest with you, you know, the night before I was thinking, oh my God, where am I going to go? That's my destination. Checked out their website, checked out what apps I'd need to download. And it is a faff. It really is. Um, I don't know whether any of you know of ZapMap. It's a, a website which seems to pull it together beautifully. But the guys behind ZapMap are trying to centralise this because there's lots of providers. There's lots of apps. I mean, I've got four or five apps on my phone. I'm yet to own an electric car and get one next year but you know it is it's a minefield and it needs centralizing and if they get that underway and get that done which i think is a tough task because there's so many providers um, but once if satmap are successful in putting it together where there's like a central payment platform where you can literally have a single app or contactless or however they're going to do it that would be fantastic and that, that apparently is on the cards proven to be difficult to do but apparently it may happen and that will that will help no end. Is and it Andrew? Just a, I mean, there are some places where you can charge for free. Do you think yeah. that might become the norm, or is that just a given? Well, I mean, guys, I kid you not. We have supplied. Surely say this, but we have supplied electric cars to local companies, and we've followed up. You know, a week later, two weeks later, about because we get an inquiry not just on the car but on the home charger as well. People need to know what's the best way to go. So. You know, we talk to them about that and quite often we phone up and say, well, how's the home charger going? And, and some people go, well, we, we didn't actually do that. We didn't bother. Uh, my wife does a, a Tesco shop on a Tuesday night or a Friday night and we now bring it three days early and we go some oddball times and we charge at Tesco's for free. And that's enough for our needs for the week. And you think, oh, oh OK. <laughs> you know, but apparently the amount of people that are doing that, but most of the, you know, um, Castle Point, most of the shopping centres around this part of the world, if you can find a charger, and if it's working, because they don't always work, uh, if it's working, you can charge for free. And that is a big thing, without a doubt, to the point where some clients aren't bothering to invest in a charger at home. 
You, you, say, you, you say Tesco, sorry, but they are seeming to be put quite a big push through on their free charging points. And it seems quite an attractive thing for people to, to obviously yeah. go down to Tesco's and shop more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be honest with you, Tesla are the ones. I mean, literally, if you were somebody who was going to, you know, travel around the UK on a fairly extensive basis, the Tesla alone just makes it easy. You know, you can drive in, in a Tesla anywhere in the UK. If you can find a Tesla charging point, the car talks to the charger and vice versa and just get on with it, you know, and you forget all these apps and Uber. It's, it's just a, a lot easier. And I know clients who are ideally not really wanting a Tesla, but are going for them just because of the infrastructure setup is just established and simple and it works. And I guess if you were doing the miles around the country, then that's clearly critical. I did have a, a client that's got a, a Tesla and he was saying to me that he drove to um, Marseille in the south of France um, in his Tesla. And I said to him, how did you get on? And he said, absolutely fantastic. He said, the sat nav told me where to go because it knew when I would run out of charge. Yeah. <laughs> I set off at my home in Bournemouth. Yeah. I, 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 I drove to the Channel Tunnel. It directed me to somewhere near Paris, which was my first charge up point. He said I needed to spend 40 minutes there char charging it up. And he said that then got me enough charge to take me all the way down to Marseille. And I just found that absolutely staggering. Yeah, absolutely. It, it yeah, I mean, the yeah, they, they are so ahead of the game. I've got clients who have been driving down the road and got a slight issue. Somehow, I, I don't know how they do it. I've got in contact with Tesla. Oh, yeah, we, we know what the problem is. And they're sending the over-air updates and just resolving the problem on the guys on the move. And you just think like, wow. So, you know, you can understand why, you know, I think uh, three, three months in the last 12, the Tesla Model 3 has been at the top of the sales charge. Yeah. You know, three times in the last 12 months. It's quite incredible. And yeah. the other thing about the councils um, that I just wanted to say was that I've, I've spoken to a client of mine who's got a, a plug-in hybrid, actually. And she was telling me that she she thinks it's fantastic because she gets free parking everywhere she goes because rather than going into multi-story she just parks up in one of the charging points plugs yeah. it in and um gets free parking as well so yeah <laughs> so what what sort of barriers do you think still remain and we need to overcome then before to get this really off the ground for the government i think personally one of the biggest barriers is our own mindsets I'll be honest with you. I think, you know, I think the cars now work. Uh, cars having a range of two to 300 miles is quite commonplace now. It's not just the Teslas. I mean, you know, there's even the Renault, the latest Renault Zoe, which is a very small bottom of the food chain type electric car that supposedly does 245 miles. So the cars work. OK, I think we, we need to understand that the cars do give you the range. Um, I think that the biggest issue is our own personal limitations in terms of you know are we prepared to plan are we prepared to sort of give it the, the, the thought and, and and work out where we're going to go etc etc so i think that's certainly the, 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 the biggest limitation we touched on earlier about the centralized charging system for public infrastructure that needs to be resolved if that's resolved that would be a huge step forward uh, and i think the third one that you know, this is this is very much a problem for today, but it's going to be around for the next sort of few months. Sadly, is I guess quite a few of us might have heard of this worldwide shortage of semiconductors. That's certainly affecting the supply. I we're having horrendous times in terms of finding cars. You know, the demand for them's off the scale. I, I read a report. I think it was one of our from our partners' leaks plan, and they're saying oh, this was a few months back. Uh, it's probably more than this now, but the manufacturers could increase output fourfold 
still not meet demand for electric cars. So, you know, those are some serious limitations, really. But I think, honestly, the biggest one is, is, is our own personal limitations. You know, the phrase range anxiety is bound to enter the Oxford Dictionary, I would have thought, fairly soon, if not already. Uh, it can be done. It just takes some planning. You've got to embrace it. It's a new world. Uh, as I said before, our forefathers and our parents, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s, driving from London to Brighton, there was not a petrol station on every corner. You know, and it was it was a challenge, you know, and it's not too far what we're faced with today with electric cars. You know, it's, you know, but again, just embrace it. You know, it does work. The cars work. You can make it work. Okay, not everyone can. You know, if you're a sales guy doing 50,000 miles a year and you're under time pressure, yeah, obviously that's going to be tough. Absolutely. But for someone who's got a home charger and, you know, someone like me, I don't have a home charger, but my friends, my family, my business, my clients is all basically Dorset. I could make it work and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. What about the, the batteries, the batteries themselves, when you buy a car and then three or four years time or, or how, how long do the batteries last? Well, apparently the, the feedback we're getting is, is the batteries are lasting way longer than people thought. Uh, the residual values of, of electric cars that are two and three years old, I mean, there are some of them now out there that are two, three, four years old. The residual values are actually really quite strong now if the batteries were you know circumspect or had an issue with and clearly the residuals would be affected but apparently that's not the case the leasing companies are coming back saying there's no issues with these batteries at all i mean i had crikey i remember an old neighbor of mine moons ago 2012 had one of those plug-in hybrid lexus cars and he did 180,000 miles in it and the thing was eight years old when he get, got rid of it Battery tested by Lexus, absolutely fine. So they are better than people think. There was this image, wasn't there, or this perception that in three years' time the car's going to be worthless because the battery's dead. It's proven not to be the case. It's just the technology, isn't it? I suppose. I mean, this leads us on to the next question, which is the considerations that a buyer needs to make, because this is kind of a twofold question: is that firstly, buying an electric car is not the same as buying a petrol diesel car. No. The other thing to bear in mind is what the residual values are of the cars, um, because the second-hand car market for electric cars hasn't truly been tested yet. No, that's right. The technology is so so fast-moving. Yeah, it is. You want to buy an electric car that five years ago was revolutionary because it had a range of 80 miles. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I still think we've got a long way to go i know we've mentioned the cap allowances before and it's clearly very important but and you know and some might point their finger at me so well you would say that wouldn't you but i think with the technological obsolescence but it's still there i mean tesla are going to bring out batteries and and cars that'll do 500 miles uh bmw is going to bring out a car next year and i've been told that you know it's going to be comfortably over 400 miles if not close to 500 miles so They've still got a long way to go and the batteries this week are going to be better by the batteries next week i kid you not because as you said ali the technology is absolutely rampant so what we're saying to all of our clients at the moment is look just rent it just pass that that risk of any potential obsolescence in technology back to the leasing company uh, and that's what we're tending to advise our clients to do at the moment i'm not against buying cars far far from it you know we fund cars and a lot of our clients own cars uh, but i think we could be two or three years away from that yet but certainly look to, to buy them absolutely in, in uh, three four five years from now when cars are doing 500 miles absolutely that makes sense but uh, yeah uh, i think at the moment 
that is something to bear in mind. The residuals are still very strong, as I said earlier, so there's not an issue there. But I think certainly leasing and, and not bearing that risk right now might be a good idea. Not forever. It will change. Do you think now's the right time to buy an electric car? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, as I said, you know, with ranges of two to 300 miles, you know, and these amazing benefiting kind tax. I mean, I, I know you guys obviously have spoken that before, but as a, a vehicle leasing sort of broker or consultant, we very much look at more the, the driver's position, you know, the benefiting kind tax. And when we've, we've got employees, you know, of our clients paying five and six pounds a month as a 20% taxpayer for a car, you know, uh, we, we spend one day a year with lease plan, their training consultants and uh, the top guy there said to us, and I agree with him, said this is the greatest tax giveaway that motorists has ever seen or will probably ever see. And it's fixed, as you said, Luke, till 2025. You know, now is the time, you know, just take advantage of it. You know, when you work out that tax savings, you, know, you think about it, you know, we were talking about um, the um, national insurance, the benefit in kind, but you've got the luxury car tax as well, which that was abolished in April 2020 for electric cars. You've got VED, you know, the vehicle excise duty. You've got the general running costs. You know, the, the tax breaks are huge. When my car comes back, I'm, I'm going to have 100% because, you know, I think they work. You've got to plan it, but I don't see any major obstacles for a lot of people to take one now. It's not ideal for everybody, as we all know. It's just not. But certainly for, the, for, for most people, it, it now is, is a good time. If anything, just to save the tax money. We've analysed some of the tax savings and tried to quantify it for some clients. And the numbers are breathtaking. And it's fixed for 2025 mm. to do it, I would. What about, you mean, You mentioned the running costs. What, what, what sort of running costs have we got with an electric car? Well, again, it's, this is very much dependent upon the size of the battery in the car and also the, the, the tariff of, of electricity. I mean, people like ZapMap will talk about £9 being the average cost for 200 miles from a home charger, but some cars like a smaller battery Nissan Leaf can be three and four pounds to fully charge it. So it does vary. I mean, uh, again, when you talk about tariffs, I mean, I, I have one client who is so into this, bless him, he really is into this, and he's got an overnight tariff from one provider, and I think he's paying overnight, a bit like the old Economy 7, I think he's paying like 12p per kilowatt hour as opposed to market rate of what, 16, 17p, something like that, 14p. Uh, he's worked out, it's costing him, and, and by the way, he's an electrical contractor, so he does this for a living, so he understands it inside out. It's costing him 1.4p a mile because he charges on this overnight tariff. So, you know, again, with a bit of planning and the right mindset, you know, the cost can be pretty good. I mean, motorway charges, yeah, you're probably looking about seven, eight quid, nine quid for half an hour's worth of charge, 100 miles, clearly a lot more expensive, but then again, Hopefully, for most people, that's just going to be the, the, the top up to get home. As I said earlier, you know, you don't need to sit at a motorway and fully charge the car. Work out how far you've got to go. You know, are you 40 miles from home? Have you got 20 miles of charge left? Well, just put enough in to get home. And then if you've got a home charger, charge it overnight. Do you think there's some, I mean, there's obviously downsides to electric cars, which is 
Um, but a, a lot of the downsides, I guess, are overcomable because it's just changing your mindset and how you drive an electric car. Yeah. What about some of the other downsides of, of yeah. that? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we, without doubt, you know, if you can, it does require some planning, you know, yeah, in a few years' time, when there's just going to be charging points everywhere, when you pull up to uh, a two junction uh, or a set of traffic lights and, you know, there's charging infrastructure underneath you in the road, fine. But we are a long way from that. But yeah, I mean, I think the major issue is planning things like range anxiety as I, say, I suffered from it last week you know and I'm, I'm i'm into this i've got the right mindset i'd like to think but i was a little bit concerned having done the trip from warwickshire and back seven days ago fine it worked a treat and i feel a lot more relaxed about it but yeah i think i think that the, the main thing is say you've got a plan some people find it a faff and that's going to put a lot of people off um cost is Another issue, uh, perception of, of cost. Uh, but again, when you look at when you look at the sort of finance solutions, and we have a thing called uh, whole life cost, and it's a, um, it fits in well with what you guys are talking about in terms of the tax side. So what we're saying is, okay, you you, you lease a Tesla, and let's say it's four hundred pounds a month, five hundred pounds a month, depending on what model you go for, even more actually. Uh, when you factor back in. The tax savings I and mean, we have had numerous clients have come on with a budget of 300 or 350 and ended up funding via lease a basic tesla because they've analyzed it and sat down with you guys worked out what the tax savings are worked out what we call the whole life cost of all these you know the benefit kind savings the national insurance class 1a savings bd fuel luxury car tax all these things fax them back into the pot and also what it does for their business sustainability as well and all the environmental issues and dare i say you won't believe this their kids saying dad you're no longer driving a range rover you're having a tesla you you cannot i mean i, I and i'm not being I'm not trying to joke about this it is it's a serious you know so many clients have said to me i'd like a range rover my daughter won't let me have one i'm having a tesla <laughs> i kid you not honestly i must have had that conversation well i lost count 10 15 20 times I'm like, really? Yeah, really. You have no idea. My daughter's 16 and it's all my fault and I'm getting a Tesla next time. And if I get a Range Rover, she's moving out and she's 16. So, yeah, it does happen. So but when you factor all into, in, into the whole, you know, it's, yeah, there are some downsides. But I say for most people, if you live in this part of the world and your business in this part of the world and family and friends aren't too far afield, it can be done. And in terms about the independent mechanics out there, are they are they set up for electric cars? Do you know? I mean, yeah, I think I think yeah, I think a few of them are doing the courses. I mean, the th thing is, as we all know, I mean, they reckon the average motorist will save three hundred pounds a year on maintenance costs because these things don't drink oil, mm. and oil, after you know, is one of the most expensive resources in the world. I don't know to per litre, it costs a fortune. So of course, you know, there's a huge saving there as well. Uh, and my understanding is, I mean, we're obviously doing car, we're doing electric cars, supplying electric cars with fully maintained packages, but and the costs aren't too huge. But even I look at the costs of, I just did one the other day. It was sixteen pounds a month for a, a Tesla, and I thought that oh, doesn't sound too bad. You know, that will cover the tyres. But when you work out what these things cost to maintain, I mean, they it's basically they just have to check them over. I kid you not. I mean, they, they do the courses, they check them over. I mean, the, the big issue, of course, if there's, you know, those orange cables get fractured in a road traffic accident, that's that's another. That's another yeah, we won't go there today. But yeah, I mean, you know, but uh, yeah, to answer your question, I think that they are, and the training courses are there, but 
I think the costs are going to be so much less for the user. I remember the first time my wife took her car and electric car in for service. And I said to her, I said, oh, what time are you due to, to get it back? And she said, oh, no, it'll be same day. I said, it won't. I said, they'll, they'll turn up, realise it's an electric car as soon as they turn the key. Yeah. And um, they'll all be scratching their heads because nobody's probably had the forethought to think what's coming in tomorrow. And I said, I guarantee that you'll get a phone call about lunchtime to say, we haven't quite got the parts and you, can we have it another night? And that is exactly what happens. But I think the garages now are a little bit, they're more used to, to seeing electric cars coming in for servicing and, and, and it's Luke's right to ask a question because it's, yeah. it's a good, it's a good, a good point that the servicing is the, the, the car that like, okay, the car manufacturer's servicing department will have all the gear, but the little independents who Luke and I act for, um, yeah. they need to invest a whole new whole load of technology in order to service the electric cars. Wow. Um, so it's, um, but they have to do it to stay in business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually feel sorry for the, the service industry going forward because I mean, again, a lot of these electric cars use this regenerative braking, you know, and I've heard stories of, you know, brakes, pads and discs just, just not being worn out at all. Because, you know, you know, if you're into this sort of thing, you know, you, you, with electric car, you can either use like a coast function, which I tend to do. So basically just back off and just let the thing free wheel. They all have these low rolling resistance tires and they just go on forever. They defy physics sometimes. Uh, and then you can flick another switch and just let the engine brake in, you know, just charge up the battery and it breaks the car. So the chance you're actually using the actual brake pedal, I mean, we supplied one last week, or no, two, sorry, two weeks ago, and Nissan Leaf has got one of these e-pedals where you can literally, you know, back off the accelerator and the car slows down. And clients found him up going, it's a revelation, I'm not even using the brakes. And, you know, so therefore the pads aren't going to be worn out, are they, or the discs? So I do feel for these guys, because those are consumables, and that's what, how they make the money. I remember you, the first time you drove one of those cars, I saw you the next day, um, and you said to me that you drove literally two miles without actually touching the accelerator. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that the first time I, I, I had one as a test, it was an e-Golf, and it was, it must be about two years ago now. I think I, I drove, from memory, 35 miles in terms of distance, but I only used 17 miles worth of what I would call battery juice. And I said, that was double. And all I was just doing is coasting. So even down the flat, coasting, just backing off, and just these tires were a revelation. And the thing kept going and going. It wouldn't, it wouldn't you know, I'm sure I did O-level physics as a kid, and I'm sure I understand there's friction between tires and the road. No, not in this case. Unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. So we've talked about Tesla, but what, what other companies are at the forefront of this then? Well, they're all doing it, obviously. I mean, uh, I think the, the days of investing in petrol and diesel are, 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 are finished. Uh, I mean, the only one that's a bit behind the curve, in my humble opinion, is Jaguar Land Rover a little bit slow. I mean, they're, they're fine on the, the plug-in hybrids, but in terms of pure electric, I mean, they've obviously got their Jaguar I-Pace, but Range Rover have yet to, to, to launch a full electric, but that's, that's on the cars, and that will happen fairly soon. Um, Hyundai doing very well. BW, slow to come to the market, but are now coming with the ID3 and ID4, and I've driven both of those, and they really are absolutely fantastic. Um, I think everyone's clearly having to to sort of bring cars to the marketplace. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of too many that are really behind the, the curve now. 
with the exception of a Range Rover. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be around fairly soon. But yeah, I think the development across the board has been well, it had to be. You know, it, it's you know the demand is there, and I think they're all working like crazy behind the scenes. The ones that haven't done a huge amount have got, you know, certainly got plans in the pipeline. We're dealing with, uh, we do a lot with Renault. I mean, they literally have got a range from the small car up to a nine-seater minibus and everything in between. So cars, unlike commercial vehicles. So yeah, I think I think they're all doing fairly well. Having to really. Okay. And, and obviously, you said that you said the T word a lot, Andrew. So the Tesla word, and yeah. and it's sort of when you think of electric car, the first car you think of is a Tesla. Yeah. Are, are they actually the best electric cars out there? Uh, if you read all the periodicals, all the journals, all the motorist journal, it seems to be the Model 3 Tesla just seems to be at the top of the pile. As I said, best, best selling car um, three times in the last 12 months, which is unheard of. You know, you think about it in, okay, the first one was May, we were in the depth of lockdown, but you know, when you think a Tesla Model 3 outselling a Ford Fiesta, okay, admittedly, I think from memory, it's only 850 units, but you know, whereas the, the uh, Fiesta normally 5,000 units a month, I mean, to sell 850 odd last May was quite, quite incredible. We've done it three times since. Uh, and it would appear to be number one across all the, all the magazines and the, the websites you look at. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think... About Formula E, the technology that they're... Um, obviously, Formula One is a huge thing for the petrol diesel car market. Um, and Formula E, and that's been going for a few years now. It's not had obviously the prominence that Formula One has, but obviously it's set out there to to drive the technology in the in the electric car market. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm I've got to be honest. I haven't really followed it that much. I went to see the first one in Battersea, or what was that? Three, four years ago, something like that. Uh, yeah, it was. But as you say, it is a, a test bed, and you know, and it, it's good. Formula E's there. That's what we need. We need the technological, you know, advancements. We need to get these cars where they need to be. You know, I'm very much. I, I'd like everyone to embrace this. It's important. It's important for the environment. I mean, I have a huge issue at the moment with the, the demonising of, of diesel. You know, we should be. It's a stopgap. If we can't go into electric, we can't go into a plug-in hybrid. This is quite controversial, but we should be driving the latest Euro Six RDE2 diesels because they've got lower CO2s than petrols. All our clients are piling into petrol. Petrol does nothing for, for, the, for, for global warming, for CO2. It's a disaster. Use diesel as a stopgap. The latest diesels are very clean in terms of the nitrous oxides. It's disinformation, it's pub talk, and everyone's piling into petrol. I and find it odd that they, we, we talk, I talked on the benefiting kinds earlier and you get this four percent supplement for diesel cars and 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 yet most people you talk to them well everyone you talk to in the car industry finds it very absurd that you you get penalized as a director for driving diesel cars because yeah. of the historic um bad um uh new sort of, um people didn't like them because they knew they were bad for the environment but they they like you say they've cleaned up so much but yeah four percent supplement just seems Crazy. It's just crazy. I mean, the, the old diesels, you know, 2010, 2012. But yeah, absolutely. Get them off the road. 100%. Horrendous things. But the latest ones are as, as clean as any petrol. And more importantly, the CO2 is less. And the CO2 in petrol is greater. That's what causes global warming. And personally, I think we should be using diesels, the latest ones, as a stopgap if we can't go into a plug-in hybrid or we can't go to electric. Not petrol. But there you go. It is what it is.
I'm going to ask you the, the, the $64 million question now. Okay. In, in, so do you think we'll reach the 2030 deadline? <laughs> that is a difficult one, isn't it? I'm, okay. I mean, they have, they've set their stall out. They, have, they are committed to this. It's going to be one hell of a huge unit if they don't. Sadly, all the car manufacturers clearly are saying, hang on a minute, guys, this is a step too far. Can we just calm down a bit? I think they're finding it very difficult. But it, I, you know what, guy? I, I don't think I can answer that. It's very, very difficult. Uh, I hope so. I, I hope they can. I, I hope we can get there because it's really important for all our kids. I'm very much into this. You know, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not convinced they will. When you hear what the manufacturers are saying in terms of their sort of slightly pushing back on this, um, perhaps it's a step too far. But you know, we've come a long way in the last 18 months in electric cars. All those new models have come out. You know, as I said, you know. 200 to 300 mile range is quite commonplace nowadays. Um, so who knows? Let's hope so, hey? And just very briefly, commercial vehicles, because obviously we've talked a lot about yeah. cars. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of thing about electric buses, electric lorries, yeah. and, and obviously van drivers typically drive a lot of miles in a yeah. day, um, going to and from sites or what have you, and they could have multi-sites they're going to. Yeah. How do you think that the the vans will adapt over the, the... They need to get a lot better. We are certainly, in terms of vans, we are not there. Uh, I mean, I'm talking to a client at the moment about a number of electric transporters. These things do 60 to 70 miles. I kid you not. There are, are vans out there that they, they can do 120 miles, but that's empty. You just put some stuff in them. That's what vans do. They move stuff. You know, you're talking a range of, you know, 90, 80, 70 miles. And that's in the summer. When it gets cold in the winter, you know, it's going to be even less than that, you know. So sadly, I think vans mm, are a long way to go. I, I went to the commercial vehicle show the year before, you know, before lockdown, so 2019, and the show was stuffed full of electric vans. You thought, oh, here we go. You know, clearly we've, overnight we flipped a switch and literally every van on show was electric. But the actual ranges are just, they're just not there. You know, as I said, you know, the, the, these electric transporters, I kid you not, they're £41,000 plus VAT, and you've got a range of 60 or 70. The Mercedes version does 80 or 90. I suppose oh. if you're a tradesman and you're, you're, all your jobs are local. That uh, works fine, yeah. But you'd have to have a charging point, Ali. You know, if, you're, if you've got a depot here, wherever here happens to be, and all your clients are in that town, and you've got a charging point back of the depot, fine, absolutely. You know, some of the finance deals on some of these cars and vans are breathtakingly low because they just aren't shifting because the SME market's looking at these 40,000 pound vans going, sorry, it'll go how far? Well, that's not gonna work. So clearly the manufacturers have been incentivized to get some out there. So some of the deals, I mean, there is one particular deal to one boy with now is unbelievable, you know, for what's a very expensive van because they're just not selling because the range isn't really workable in a commercial environment today. This is it's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because you think the couriers, I mean, there's more couriers on the road than there's ever been. They Absolutely. Perfect, wouldn't it? And, and we, we have couriers that we act for, and some of the rounds, they take them off, they pick up their parcels in the morning in pool, yeah. and they're mm -hmm. going off to far-flung parts of Dorset or Wiltshire or Hampshire yeah these parcels and it's just not possible electric car no. yeah all the home buying and the online market the online buying is all the you know it's just gone crazy over the pandemic and probably will stay that way now 
yeah. but it, it's the actual getting the parcels, the, the CO2s of getting these parcels from Amazon to um, your home at the moment are still quite backward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, hopefully there will be some development over, over the next sort of 12 months in the LCV market. They've, they've just got to. I mean, they can do it with cars of two to 300 miles. You know, it's just, I'm sure they'll get there. But right now, yeah, I'll be honest with you. How many electric vans have we done that we've been able to recommend? It's quite an easy answer that, guys. We haven't done any. Yeah. Because I just can't, you know, at 60, 70 miles, it's, you know, it's just, just sadly not workable right now. Caroline, um, is there any questions that have come in from the, the, the in the chat at all? No, no questions. Does that mean we've answered everything? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, if there's no questions, um, quickly, if anyone's got any questions, I'll give you five seconds. Otherwise, we will call it a day. And thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. A pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Andrew.